this lecture is about the astral world, the world of life after death. There are a few misconceptions about the astral world which we shall attempt to clear up during this lecture. But first, let's try to get a clear idea of what we mean by the astral world. Remember, in the lecture on the constitution of man, we saw that there were seven states or principles, from the physical through to the spirit. Let's just recap, because it will serve to refresh your memory anyway. There was physical body, astral body, prana, instinctive mind, intellectual mind, spiritual mind, and spirit. Well, these seven states are not exclusive to man. They're universal principles. These seven grades of manifestation exist in all forms of life. In the lower scale of evolution, only the lower principles normally manifest. But the seven states themselves are there, potentially, in absolutely everything. So we could say that in dealing with worlds, that we have a physical world, an astral world, a world of prana or energy, and a mental world which is divided into three parts, instinctive, intellectual, and spiritual. Then we have the seventh world, the world of spirit, or the world of God, we could call it. So, the second principle here is the astral world. And since the thinker has to learn to live and express itself in that astral world as a part of its evolution, in order to do this, it must have a vehicle or a body in which it can live. And so, with the help of the lords of creation, the thinker creates such a body, creates it out of materials drawn from the astral world. And the structure of the astral world is exactly the same as the structure of the physical world. Mind, energy, and matter. But the atoms of astral matter vibrate at very much higher speeds than the atoms of physical matter. Consequently, astral matter is much finer, far more tenuous than physical. So much so, in fact, that is outside the range or the spectrum of vibrations which we are able to perceive with our normal physical senses. Which is why, ordinarily, we do not see astral people or astral scenery as a matter of course. But if you've understood this properly, then you can see that the difference between the physical and astral worlds is really a question of speed or rate of vibrations. And that, if we think about it for a moment, makes it quite clear to us where the astral world is. It is around and interpenetrating the physical world. Just as our astral body is around and interpenetrating the physical body. 
right on the spot where you are at this moment. You are in the physical world and in the astral world at the same time. If you could extend your normal vision outside of the physical spectrum so that your eyes were able to pick up the faster vibrations of astral matter, then without moving from your chair, you'd see the astral world all around you. Now hopefully, this will clear away one of those misconceptions that I spoke of. Because it's given the name astral world, because astral means of the stars. There's a general belief that it's located up in the sky somewhere. When people speak of God and the spirit world, they almost always look upward. Angels were endowed with wings, presumably so that they could fly about in heaven, which was apparently a very long way up in the air. Well, the oldest teachings in the world tell us that the ancient seers and prophets were able to see into the astral world. And as they penetrated more deeply, the conditions that they saw became finer and finer. And more and more light shone through the scenery and the beings that they observed. There was such incredible speed and activity about that world that the earthly senses made it seem that the whole of it, everything that they were seeing, was filled with flashing lights and colors. So much so that they came to speak of it as the starry world, and hence the later appellation from the Latin astra, the world of the stars. Not the world in the stars, the world of the stars. Now, as to that astral world itself, like all universal manifestations, it is divided into seven main planes, or strata of vibration. These actually correspond quite closely to the seven principles we've spoken of. The lowest planes of the astral world are very dense and heavy like the physical body is dense and heavy. As we ascend, we pass through finer states until we reach a level which is beyond our comprehension altogether. That's where the astral world shades into the spirit world proper or the world of God. And another inaccuracy that we might deal with at this point is the tendency on the part of most people to speak of the spirit world and spirit people when they're referring to anything or anybody not actually still living on earth. Almost every medium will refer to the spirits. And most people tend to think of the spirit world as somewhere that they will go to after they die at which time they will be themselves, apparently, spirits. 
which is rather like saying that a light bulb, when it's broken, becomes electricity. The fact is, everything is spirit, all the time. We are created out of the absolute, which is spirit. Admittedly, the spirit is individualized to become a soul, then it's cloaked to become a thinker, then it's masked and encased to become an astral and a physical being. The more we remove of those cases, masks and cloaks, the closer we come back to the original spirit from which we were first individualized. And that, of course, is what evolution really means. But when the spirit is encased in all its wrappings, we call it a physical being. And when it's shed the heaviest of the coverings, or, if you'll forgive this analogy, when it has taken off its overcoat and is walking about in its suit or dress, then it's called an astral being. And its natural home is the astral world. So by this time, you should have a pretty good idea of what the astral is and where it is. So let's take a closer look at it. And as ever, we'll begin at the lowest part and work our way upwards. The lowest, or the densest plane of the astral, is analogous to the very depths of instinctive mind. Something like the bones of the body or the minerals of the earth. There, the degree of consciousness present is very, very minute. So, incidentally, consciousness and light are very closely related. The higher the consciousness, the greater the degree of light. So, these lowest planes of the astral world are very often correctly spoken of as the dark realms. It is correct to say that these planes are related directly to the construction of the planet itself. And so, conditions there would be far too dense for human understanding. We couldn't live in the middle of a mountain, for instance. But, as in all states and conditions, the planes shade gradually from one to another. In the first plane, for instance, above this lowest or densest we spoke of, a little higher in vibration, we find the astral equivalent of the plant world, much less dense. And there, conditions gradually grow finer until they shade into the astral animal plane. And at the top end of that, human consciousness first makes its appearance. Now, for the purposes of this lecture, I'd like you to understand that when we refer to the first realm of the astral, we mean that part of the lowest plane where animal and human consciousness first manifests. Below that, no animal could exist as such. 
Now this lowest realm or plane then is the actual domain of this scarcely awakened consciousness. And here there are thought forms by the hundreds of millions. In the lesson on thought dynamics, you may remember we said that thought images endowed with a great deal of pranic energy would persist for a long time. Well, this is certainly so. And here, in this low region of the astral world, which is directly related to the lower planes of instinctive mind, we find those thought images living on, as it were. They have no life of their own. They drift about quite aimlessly. But they have been strongly charged with prana. And until that prana disperses completely, they will continue to exist. As the prana does gradually disperse, the forms very slowly start to disintegrate. Rather like the physical body as it begins to decompose after death. So you can well imagine that some of these thought forms are particularly unpleasant to see. Some of them are quite horrifying, in fact. The thought forms in this part of the astral world are not always human. There are forms there created by depraved thoughts, which are not only subhuman, but actually subanimal in form. Demoniac creations, terrible to look upon. The results of the bestial outpourings of subhuman minds, often inflamed by anger or terror. And these thought forms, for that is what they are, can be animated, temporarily brought to a seeming life, by thought energy poured into them by other minds, the minds of those who see them, for instance or become aware of them. We should remember that this astral world we are talking about is in and around us at this very moment. Now, normally, if you were to extend your vision into the astral world, because of the law of sympathetic vibrations, you would see into that part of the astral world that's in harmony with your present thoughts. So what you would see would not be at all unpleasant, nothing like these thought forms at all. But if you saw into the astral while you were in a fit of anger or depression, you would contact much lower vibrations. And the feelings and the visions you would experience might not be at all pleasant. So just imagine someone who has drunk or drugged themselves to the point where they have forced their consciousness out of its normal seat in the physical brain. They then become active in the astral brain, which is next in line, so to speak. The same law of sympathetic vibration is at work with them. And so 
because of the lower natures which are predominant at this time they are attuned to the lower planes of astral consciousness and they actually do see some of these horrific thought forms that we've been talking about and they bring them to life with their own mental energy I'm sure you've all heard about this sort of thing and to those poor creatures these things they see are real because they're seeing them in their home environment as it were just like the clairvoyant mediums who see their astral friends and loved ones they are seemingly quite real as well and also amongst these forms on the lower planes there are those that have been created for special purposes like the ones we discussed in the lesson about thought dynamics in the tomb of the pharaohs also there are many many clouds of indeterminate shape these are made up of thought content which has not had sufficient imagery or direction to make a definite form these clouds drift about and they are attracted to the astral bodies and brains of people still alive who are vibrating on similar types of thought wavelengths for instance continual vague thoughts and half formed ideas about um, say sex or indulgence in some other sensual pursuits will form such a cloud and these are clouds are attracted to one another thus these types of thoughts and feelings are continually being stimulated or encouraged by this contact through the astral planes with the similar thoughts of others This is true of the higher realms also, of course. Exactly true. But there, the clouds of thought would be clear images of a definite purpose. And contact with these, or stimulation by them, would most often be referred to as inspiration. It isn't, actually. But it's referred to as inspiration. True inspiration comes from the spiritual mind still it's near enough not to matter too much well then you can see that this lower astral plane is a state very much to be avoided in fact normal people even comparatively undeveloped people have nothing to do with such states those states rightly belong to the far past to the primeval animal state through which we have all evolved only those people who for whatever reason deliberately wish to contact such vibrations have any reason to fear them people who practice the so-called black arts 
can and do attune themselves to this plane. And from there, conjure up or attempt to conjure up the terrifying entities with which they wish to gain power and ascendancy over others. But if we remember the lesson on karma, well, we can only shudder at the prospect of what awaits these people at some time in the future when they're called to fulfill the law of destiny. You know, we ought to know what effect our own thoughts have in this sensitive atmosphere around the earth. We are constantly creating artificial elementals, particularly when we experience a flash of ill temper. Perhaps we think angry thoughts about someone. You know what happens then? We actually make a real thought form. A flash of temper aimed at somebody would create a thought form. Red in color, probably a dark and angry red. And it would be pointed and barbed. Just the sort of thing designed to injure or to hurt. According to how strongly it's sent, such a form would virtually hurl itself at the astral body of the person to whom it is directed. Then, according to their strength or weakness, it would have a greater or less harmful effect. There's one thing, very sure, it certainly cannot do any good. Thoughts of love, on the other hand, can and do create the most exquisitely beautiful shapes, filled with wonderful color. They hover about the head and shoulders of the person to whom they are sent, bathing the soul with their radiance. When people pray earnestly, according to whatever religious beliefs, then they sometimes create angel-like thought forms. And these can actually protect those to whom they are sent, warding off evil or lower vibrations. A great deal of absent or mental healing takes place in this way. But really such loving thoughts have their home in the higher spiritual planes of the astral world. They have nothing to do with those states we've been discussing so far. Thoughts of hatred or jealousy, suspicion, discontent are being poured out continually by millions of minds daily. These are all creating artificial elementals whose lives will be long or short according to the strength of the original thought impulses which created them. So you see, we ourselves populate these lower realms with uncountable 
billions of hostile creatures, albeit soulless ones. Is it any wonder then? that those who live amongst us, weak in character, of a low order of development, are so often inspired to acts of wanton vandalism, violence and perversion. It's only karma at work again. We're reaping what we have sown. In the higher regions of this part of the astral plane, above this unpleasant place, is the plane of nature spirits, or higher elementals. These are actual ensouled beings, as distinct from the thought forms we've just been discussing. These nature spirits are generally divided into five main groups ether air fire water and earth and their work is concerned with their own particular element they implement the natural laws they act as channels for the divine energy which works continually through nature. We don't want to discuss the length at the moment because we hope to make them the subject of a complete lecture later on. But in fact, the people who believe in elves and fairies are not quite so simple as some folk think. Also here in these in-between planes of the astral world, the third and fourth planes, can be seen vast numbers of semi-conscious, unconscious travelers, people who are still tied to their earthly bodies and who have separated from them in the sleep state, but who are not sufficiently developed have awakened to the astral consciousness and therefore they have no awareness that they are actually astral traveling. When they wake up back in the physical body and brain, at the very most they will half remember a fitful kind of dreaming. You see, the astral body is the higher principle of the two bodies. And so a certain stage of unfoldment must be reached before the thinker can centralize himself in the astral brain and completely control the astral body away from the physical. And those people who are still living largely in the higher instinctive mind and the lower intellectual mind is about half the world's population or more, they have little or no normal astral consciousness. Such souls drift aimlessly about in the astral energy currents, 
also here one would see many many people who are consciously traveling in their astral bodies they work in these planes during their sleep state some with the nature spirits and others engaged on various healing activities these are a reasonably highly developed souls on earth and in between these and the lowest groups there are vast numbers of ordinary people who whilst developed enough to be conscious in the astral brain are not capable of actually directing the astral body and they just drift about and they are awake and they enjoy the experience a great deal of learning is done in this way by such people they're often brought into contact with more developed souls who can help them for a time these higher entities adopt the role of guide or helper now the visions that these souls have when they're in this state are usually impressed onto the physical brain and they enter the physical consciousness as quite vivid dreams there are seven planes as we said in the astral world and on each of these seven planes there is one division in which souls live for a time after physical death now you will remember from the reincarnation and karma lessons that the soul spends a certain time in purgatory before it passes into the plane of the astral world for which it's fitted this purgatory is once again a state not a place it works in this way during the earthly life the various desires thoughts actions which form the life pattern actually weave themselves into the astral body you see all thoughts or desires belong to one or the other of the planes of mind lower thoughts and passions and sensual desires belong to instinctive mind material thoughts passions and desires belong to intellectual mind whilst loving kindly thoughts altruistic desires belong to spiritual mind during the earth the greater the number of lower thoughts or passions the more of instinctive mind material is woven into the astral body so at death when that astral body is released being formed largely of instinctive mind material it naturally gravitates towards that plane the vibrations of which are closest to instinctive mind in other words the lower planes of the astral 
the actual purging or purifying process takes place normally shortly after death when the thinker the soul whatever its earthly life has been normally sinks into a deep sleep that is to say if it's allowed to by well-meaning relatives and friends during this sleep all the past life passes in review before the inner eye or the mind of the thinker all events all desires all thoughts and actions are seen again now the soul is not judging neither rejoicing nor regretting it is merely observing but as each part and desire of the past life is seen again if there is no longer any interest at all in it if there's no spark kindled in the soul then that particular material drops away from the astral body forever but if there is still a longing in the soul for any of these old experiences feelings then that material remains in the astral body having reviewed the entire life having dropped away all material which is no longer relevant so to speak the thinker then sinks into a very deep sleep for a short time when it awakens finds itself on that plane of the astral world which vibrates in harmony with all the material left in the astral body thereafter as the soul or thinker progresses and outgrows each baser desire or instinct then the astral body literally casts it off and as this astral body grows finer it's able to move into higher and more congenial conditions every subdivision of each plane is itself subdivided an infinite number of times so the progress through these planes is very very gradual in fact rather like rising up through water there are no sudden leaps into any higher spheres because these after death states are really the result of the desires of the soul they are in effect desire world and the Sanskrit name for these worlds in the ancient wisdom is Kama Loka which literally means the place of desire in the 
lowest plane, the first plane of Kamaloka, we find all the conditions described in all religions as hell. All the hells of all the religions exist in this lowest plane of Kamaloka. And the atmosphere in these places is quite, quite horrifying. All that is lowest and basest in man's nature finds outward expression there. All the familiar thought forms associated with the orthodox hells created and sustained by the imagination of millions of souls who believe in such things exist there devils and hobgoblins, demons and ogres waiting to seize upon luckless minds and carry out their various works of torture purely mentally of course but the results are as real to the sufferer as any pain on earth might be. Here, also in this astral atmosphere, character expresses itself in form. And so, bestial appetites create bestial forms. So that many of the dreadful creatures seen there are actually human souls sunk into incredible depths of depravity. But those who live here deserve to be here. No one need feel sorry for them. On earth they have followed such paths of iniquity that they have made themselves astral bodies which are fit only for such conditions. There are people here whose lives were completely dedicated to cruelty. Those in whose minds love was completely unknown. There are murderers, violent criminals of all types. The scum of humanity, animal man at its worst. But even so, such sufferings are temporary. And however dreadful they may seem, they are a much-needed lesson in the life of these souls. And nature is teaching them in the only way that they can understand. And remember, all the time, karma, cause and effect. They are there because they themselves have put themselves there. But let's leave this depressing place. Move on a bit. The second region or plane of the astral world is really almost an exact replica of the earth world. So much so that many souls who wake here after death have really no idea that they are dead. Everything is so much like the earth world they have just left. There are the same types of houses, the familiar scenery. There are towns and cities. There are industries, 
there are transports. In fact, here, the astral bodies, if we can use that term, of all the things they owned on earth still exist. Many people who are quite ignorant of spiritual matters, people who are ardent materialists, do wake up here. And they spend quite a lot of time here. Because their astral bodies contain a great deal of the matter of this region. They have little or no desire for higher things. They're quite happy and contented to carry on their earthly pursuits. And the third and the fourth regions of the Kamaloka are merely more refined versions of this second. Each one is a little biter and more etherealized. But there's very little difference in any of them. But the fifth region of Kamaloka is a very different proposition. This is where those conditions that we referred to at the beginning of the lecture make their first appearance. I mean, of course, the starry appearance. This luminosity, the speed, this flashing light and color. Here is the beginning of most people's idea of heaven. Light and color, beauty, peace, and harmony all around. And in this region of Kambaloka actually exist all the known heavens of all the religions of earth. The vast majority of people at the end of their earthly lives pass into this realm. Those whose astral bodies during purgatory have shed most of the baser desires. Nothing changed them to the lower realms and they quickly find themselves drawn into this fifth region of Kamaloka. There to find what they believe to be their just reward for the life they have just finished. All the orthodox heavens, all the homemade heavens, are fully represented here. The golden gates, the jeweled streets of the New Jerusalem, Valhalla, the happy hunting grounds of the red man, the hoary-filled paradise of the Muslim, and the summer land of the spiritualists are all here. Exactly as they are visualized in the minds of all those men and women who have looked forward one day to living in them. From the crudest to the most sophisticated, all religious beliefs 
have their temporary realization in this fifth plane of the astral world. There are churches, schools, religious and philanthropic organizations of every sort carrying on their work here. Even those very special, exclusive sects or religious bodies congregate here. They all firmly believe, of course, that they're the only ones who have been saved. There are teeming millions of them, but only a few can see each other. They know nothing of anything outside of themselves. This, of course, is true of all the other religions as well. They are concerned, interested only in themselves. They have no idea of the immensity of this place of the infinite numbers of others who share it with them. Many, many of the spirit guides of earthly mediums come from this plane and the next one above. Although they are fairly advanced in knowledge, at least as compared to those who still are living earthly lives, these guides are not, for the most part, great teachers. They do not have a high degree of wisdom. And in this plane, language barriers still exist, which accounts for the difficulty some guides have in communicating through mediums. And it also accounts for the fact that a great deal of the so-called spiritual philosophy offered by these guides is often banal and disappointing. Nevertheless, for those who live here, this is a happy place, a place of fulfillment where dreams come true. Here, wonderful reunions take place with those dear ones long since dead. Here, the flowers are beautiful. Here, there are colors beyond earthly comprehension. And the sixth realm of Kamaloka is very much like the fifth, but is infinitely more refined. The souls who live there are much more advanced. And these people during their earthly life would mostly have been very highly developed artistically and intellectually. Their ability to create on a very high artistic level results in a world of superlative beauty with fantastic landscapes of fairy-like quality, far beyond anything ever seen on Earth. This and the seventh plane are the preludes to the real heaven world. Because beautiful though it may be, this is still the astral world. Heaven, the real heaven, belongs to the pure spirit world. That world we call Devachan, 
are the home of the gods. Passing through these various planes of the astral world occupies the soul between incarnations, often for many thousands of years. Sometimes the soul will stay in the fifth region of Kamaloka for as many as several thousand years. One must remember that in this world there isn't any time as we measure it. It's not a planet which is revolving round a central sun as ours is. There are no divisions of night and day, summer and winter. There are no, at least on the higher planes, there are no time measuring instruments, clocks and sundials and so forth. In this astral world, time is measured by experience. Of course, there is a sensation of time. One knows when something is happening now. One remembers what happened in the past, and one looks forward to what is going to happen in the future. In that sense, there is always time. Without it, our lives would be totally meaningless and a standstill, in fact. But measured, measured time is a totally different thing. Here, in these astral realms, in the lower regions, the soul undergoing various tortures, mental or physical even, seemingly physical anyway, would have a totally distorted idea time. Time would seem to pass extremely slowly. A few minutes spent in suffering could seem like interminable ages. Quite the opposite is true, of course, of the higher realms where the experiences are of beauty and peace, love, and total enjoyment. There, of course, time would seem to pass very quickly. You can experience that for yourself, of course, if you ever had a raging toothache. You know that two minutes can seem like two hours. Alternatively, when you're enjoying something, doing something you really love, it seems that no sooner have you started than someone's calling you for lunch or it's time to go to bed. Our ideas about the passing of time, when removed from clocks, measuring instruments, vary with the type of experience that we're undergoing. And so it is in all these stages beyond the earthly world. Another misconception has arisen from this. One constantly hears people say, oh, in the spirit world there isn't any time. Well, as we just said, it would be a very strange place indeed if that were so. I doubt if any of us would be very happy living there in that case. 
No, if people were to say, in the astral planes, time is measured by experience rather than by the sun, they'd be much more correct. Anyhow, it might be a good place now to say something about what's termed the etheric body. We haven't mentioned it up to now, but I think perhaps we ought to do so. It's often confused with the astral body, but in fact it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It's not even one of the principles. It is, as its name implies, a structure in the ether, which uh, is the very subtle substance in which all energies function, in which all radiation and vibration takes place. The etheric body, or etheric body as it's called sometimes, is a sort of duplicate of the physical. But in fact it's more like a skeleton than a body. Or perhaps a body made of wire mesh would describe it better. The actual purpose of it is to form a sort of bridge through which the prana, or vital energy, can pass to the network of nerves in the physical body. The etheric body, seen clairvoyantly, would look like a million tiny, tiny pinpoints of flashing light, all joined together by gossamer-like threads pulsating with life. And seven centers of force or energy would be seen there also. They would be whirling rapidly like Catherine wheels. These, in fact, are the chakras. And we shall be doing a lecture on those later on in this series. So then, the etheric body is not a body at all, really. It's just a framework of energy. When the physical body dies, the prana leaves through this etheric body. And the etheric body lingers on for 36 to 48 hours before it starts to disintegrate. It disintegrates slowly and it, at such times, hovers around the place where the physical body is decomposing in cemeteries and graveyards one sometimes can feel this disintegrating etheric body around the graves if one's clairvoyant sometimes it registers as a sort of violet light around tombstones anyhow so much for the etheric body, which I only mentioned in order to clear up any misunderstanding that might arise. Now, referring back to the purgatory that we spoke of, I'd like to say a word or two here about 
the manner of passing out of this physical life and how it affects this state. Someone who passed out suddenly, who was killed in, in an accident or in war or some other catastrophe, would have a very different experience to someone who died peacefully, say, of old age. In this case of sudden death, if there was little or no knowledge of afterlife or psychic or spiritual things, then the soul would most probably not realize that it had left the body and the earth world for the last time. The normal sleep could be delayed in such cases for a very long time, and the soul would be caught in a sort of in-between state. There are, in fact, countless thousands of such souls adrift on the astral plane. Believe it or not, many, many of them still from the Great War of 1914-18, caught in the incredible energy currents of that vast, hateful thought form. They're still looking for someone to fight and kill. And there are uncountable numbers from the 1939 war also, and from all other forms of great catastrophic happenings where souls have been launched into eternity before they were ready in large numbers. And there are bands of dedicated souls, advanced beings of long experience, who are working there continuously, endeavoring to break through the hard wall of the lower consciousness that binds these poor creatures to their self-created miniature hells. Of course, not all sudden passings are like this. Many people are rendered unconscious by the physical shock and the psychic shock of being forced out of the body. And while they're in this state, they're watched over by spiritual helpers who take them to special places like the nursing homes on the fifth plane. There they sleep and they dream their purifying dreams in the normal way eventually awakening to whatever state of Kabbaloka they are drawn. But generally speaking, it's far better to enter the astral world quietly, having slowly loosed the ties of physical life one by one. Then the sensation of dying is one of sinking into a delicious slumber with the knowledge that the awakening on the morrow will be to wonderful conditions of joy and happiness of dreams come true of old loves and friendships renewed that there will be no more partings at least for a very, very long time.
in this astral world also, there are whole planes devoted to learning. There are vast libraries here, and great centers of research into every subject you can possibly think of. There are millions of happy and interested souls, all busily engaged on work of some sort, all types of work. Some of it concerned with the earth, and some of it connected with the astral world. There are men in such places who have been interested in some particular kind of study or line of research on earth, and they are able to continue it here. But with facilities they could never have dreamed of in earthly life. And this, of course, to them, is what heaven is all about. And they're quite likely to go on in this way for the equivalent of a century or so of earthly time, and to be almost unaware of its passing. Because, for one thing, age and decay belong only to the lowest principles, the physical body and its etheric double, at least. Or it appears that way. In the higher astral planes, the fifth plane, for instance, people actually grow younger. In looks and feelings, they return to an approximation of youth and middle age. What's normally called the prime of life. And at that stage, they remain. All this is very satisfying to the thinker. And for ages of time, he believes he's come to the end of his journey. Surely, he thinks, there can't be anything better than this. But there can be. And there is. For however wonderful conditions in the higher plains of Kamaloka might be, there are still largely conditions which appeal to the intellect and the desires. There must be things to do, there must be something to accomplish. There must be a form through which to express the ego. But somewhere in the depths of itself, the soul knows this. It knows that this is just a station on the way. From spiritual mind, there comes the feeling of restlessness, like the movement of the eternal ocean breaking on the shore of life. Until at last, thinker starts to make preparations for the next step of the journey. Little by little, he begins to detach himself from the ties he has forged on the astral plane. He realizes his own limitations. 
he knows in his deepest heart that he must enter into new experiences in order to grow and to unfold a little more of the God potential which is within him. And so the astral body begins to die, quite literally. One day, the thinker just lays down to sleep, and the higher principles withdraw, as they did from the earth body so long ago. And now, a very wonderful thing happens. The thinker, who up until then believed he was in heaven, there in the astral world, awakens to find himself in the real heaven world. David Chan. You see, man passes through the earth world and the astral world. And if you remember, we compared these to instinctive mind and intellectual mind. But of course, although it's not by any means really awakened yet, we mustn't forget that man also has spiritual mind. All men have that principle within them. And in every life on earth, some fragmentary portion of that spiritual mind manifests itself in some way. Even in the worst men, there's a spark of love which will come close to the surface at some time. Remember now, we saw that every desire of earth life wove itself into the astral body. And that determined the actual plane of the astral world upon which the thinker would awaken. Well, man has also, to function in the spiritual plane, a spirit body. Now, as yet, in the race, the spirit body is barely formed. But nevertheless, man has one. And during the earth life, every thought and deed of a truly spiritual nature weaves itself into the fabric of that body, strengthening it just a little, building it just a little. So, when man leaves the earth and lives in the astral world, he has an astral body, but he also has a spirit body, which is just as invisible to him as his astral body was invisible when he was on earth. But that spirit body is there, nevertheless. And the fact that he has it at all means that before he returns to the lower earth world once more, he must spend some time in the true spirit world, in Divacan.
how much time and how conscious he will be and what part of that world he will go to are all determined by how much spiritual matter has been added to the spirit body during his lifetime. And in his brief stay in the spirit world, or David Chan, which could still be in the region of 50 to 60 earthly years, he will experience conditions totally unlike anything on earth. But what those conditions are like, we shall have to wait to see in a later lecture on David Chan. In the meantime, here's another interesting definition for you. We're constantly referring to the higher principles as the thinker. Well, the word for the root of the Sanskrit verb to think is man. Man means the thinker. You're slowly absorbing knowledge through these lectures. Or at least, that's our earnest hope. But remember, knowledge has no value except in application. Your life will only broaden out and become more satisfying and progressive as you make it so. So, use this knowledge that you're gaining to sweep away ignorance, fear and superstition and the limits they bring from your life. Try to weave a little more fabric into your spirit body day by day that you may pass quickly through the worlds of illusion and live for long ages in your real home. Diva Chan. <laughs>